my alma mater, Mayor Lutheran High School in Minnesota, uh, went to the state championships. Last second shot, a kid who for two-thirds of the season had to sit out for an injury puts up a last second shot and wins the game. Oh, the joy! I'm being being that moment, and and you've experienced those buzzer beater moments in life where you're like, yes, and the high fives and and the hugs and say, man, this is what victory, this is what life is all about, is moments of euphoria, just like worship, right? Rejoice, (laughs) rejoice. You're laughing because you know it's true. You know, where, where's the joy? Why isn't it more like that when we come into the presence of Almighty God who has given his everything that we might have eternal life with him rather than condemnation and, and eternal damnation in hell? A Savior who has paid the ultimate price that we might experience the ultimate gift of victory in this world. Rejoice. Rejoice. Where is it? You know, Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And the scriptures tell us this. We read an account from John's gospel. And it's one of four readings. And we turn to the other gospel of Luke where he also gives an account of this moment. And this is what he says. I invite you, if you want to turn to this, Luke chapter 19. Luke gives us another angle of this and some of the detail involved that day. Um, I just want to turn to page 1053, Luke chapter 19 in your worship Bible. And I love some of these details that Luke gives us, not only of how Jesus told his disciples to go get the donkey, but also as he comes riding in, and, and beginning with verse 37, Luke 19, verse 37, and it says this, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in, what's it say? Loud voices. Loud voices, right? It's what it says. They praised God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now, what kind of miracles? John tells us that they saw the raising of Lazarus. This didn't happen every day. Jesus misses the funeral, shows up in Bethany. They take him to the tomb. Jesus weeps, not because he's grieving his friend. He knows what he's going to do, but he looks around him, and he sees the unbelief. He sees the doubts, he sees the fears, he sees the lack of hope in people who are desperate. And Jesus weeps over them. And with that, he calls his friend Lazarus out from the grave. Poor guy. (laughs) He had already been rejoicing in eternity, and Jesus calls him back to face the messed up world we live in. I was still sorry for Lazarus. But this was a game changer. People were talking about this. They're talking about this man who claims to be God and and, and is going around healing people and and is welcoming sinners and broken people and restoring lives and changing lives with the message of salvation. Could this be the one we've been waiting for? 
Could this be the one that our, our hearts are longing for a better day? We're oppressed by the Roman government, the politics of the day, and the violence of the day, and, and the economics of the day, and, and the religious despair of the day. Longing for better days. Could he be the one? Well, Luke goes on and he says, with that loud voice as they shouted, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Read it with me. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, right? They're shouting out with loud voices. These are prophecies fulfilled. They're quoting Old Testament scripture. They're longings for Messiah. And they're pumped. They're excited. There are high fives going on. There are hugs. There are people waving palm branches. They are so excited and hopeful of what this can mean. Could he be the one we've longed for? Well, I know often we, we take that and we say, okay, well, but they were wrong. They didn't understand. And, and after all, they didn't, aren't these the same people that a few days later would shout, crucify? Well, that kind of sounds great and it preaches really well. But most likely, as many scholars, including our very own Paul Meyer, has pointed out, these very likely weren't the same people that shouted crucify some days later. These were disciples, as the scripture tells us. Followers of Jesus. Their hopes were in Jesus when Jesus is arrested, when Jesus is crucified, they were weeping and grieving the loss. No, these are people who understand it, at least in the, as much as they can. We have the benefit of seeing the other side of what happened. But they were joy-filled. And you'd think, if, if they were wrong, you'd think if, if they were completely off in, in praising God with loud voices and truly rejoicing him with all that they were that day and the high fives and the celebration that was going on, certainly Jesus would have called them out on it. He would have said, calm down, everybody. You're overacting. Well, that's what the Pharisees think. Interesting, isn't it? The Pharisees say, it says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They are making a scene. They are making you a bigger deal than you are. Calm them down. Quiet them down. Control your people. Because after all, you're supposed to be subdued. Jesus won't do it. In fact, he says, verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, What's going to call out? The stones are going to cry out. If God's people don't rejoice and celebrate, well, guess what? The creation of God is going to call out, even a rock. Have you ever hear, heard a rock scream and shout in victory? Me either. But what Jesus is saying is, there is reason in my presence to celebrate. And Jesus goes on to weep over those who miss it. As Luke records it. He says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He said, if, if you, even you, had only know this, known this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. Peace had come to his people. Jesus isn't crying out over buildings or a city. No, he's crying out over people. It's like they're missing it. He was... Weeping for those who don't get it. 
who miss it, who, who just, they, they, they miss it. And he goes on and later he says, they will not leave one stone on another, talking about how the pain and the struggles that will come because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You see, this is a big deal. So why is it that you and I struggle so much to celebrate? Why is it so much, so many times you just kind of go through life and it's just kind of the doldrums of getting out of bed in the morning and facing another day and like, oh, here we go and go through the motions. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Why is it we got the Eeyore syndrome of life and it's just like, oh, no, here we go again. When Jesus has told us the time has come to rejoice. I wonder sometimes if, if it's we just don't quite get it. Or our concept of who God is and why God has come is, is a bit off. And, and, and it's maybe no wonder we feel exhausted, tired, overwhelmed, broken down in despair or fearful or just not really lacking or lacking a lot of joy in our lives. Could it be we, we think of Jesus and, and, and we think of, well, you know what? Well, if he's real and if this is real, why is it that my circumstances are so overwhelming? Maybe we're, we're playing on the, the court of life and we're just like exhausted and tired because we look at the score and we're so far behind in, in our to-do list or we're so far, far high behind in financially or our circumstances because of injury or illness or, or, or diagnosis from a doctor or relationships that are falling apart because the team is fighting and, and we're like, how are we possibly going to prevail through this? And, and we just get overwhelmed with it. So much so we're just kind of ready to quit, or if not quit, just kind of get through to the end of the game and just sort of bide our time, knowing our time is limited. Well, if you face life that way, no wonder we're robbed of joy. What, what kind of joy is there in that, just getting by? And maybe our, our, our thought is, is that, well, if Jesus really has come to do something, well, why is he just standing on the sidelines, and why isn't he having an impact in, in my life? Or maybe another thing that gets in the way is just guilt and the shame. We're out there going through life and, and day by day, but we realize the despair in our minds, in our hearts. We realize how far we've failed. And if, if your mindset of, of who Jesus is, is that Jesus is coming to this world to show us how to live and, and create a standard in which to, to base our lives on. And, and we think of him more as a coach on the sideline cheering us on and, and yelling at us when we fail. And, and no wonder we're in despair a lot. Because we know ourselves well enough to know how many shots we miss. We, we know ourselves well enough to know how many times we fall. How many times we just lose it on defense and on offense. And we're not really in the game and we deserve to be benched forever. No wonder we're robbed of joy. No wonder we, we kind of try to avoid Jesus and really don't want to hear what his word says because after all, we got a feeling he's just going to lay into us because we have not been faithful in how we've played this team sport. But maybe we've missed something here. Maybe we've missed the whole reason he's come. You know what the scripture says, and we read this earlier from Philippians chapter 2, 
It says this of Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see what's going on? Here is Jesus didn't come into this world to be on the sidelines, to be a coach who's angry with his players. No, Jesus came into this world to suit up and and take the the court with us and and to get sweaty and get dirty and, and to face the pain and the struggles of real life. He humbled himself to become like us and the brokenness, and the despair, and the struggle, and looking up at the scoreboard saying, man, there's no way we're going to win this game. It's way too late. And you know what? It may seem that way, except for this. Jesus has come on the court. And as he enters into Jerusalem that day, this is the beginning of that celebration. Because when Jesus takes the court, this is going to change the game. He goes on to say this too. And you say, well, yeah, but I'm... I don't deserve to be on this team. Well, I love what Paul says in Romans 5, verse 8. He says, you know, this is, as he says it to us as sinful, broken people. Why don't you turn there with me? Romans 5, Acts, Romans. There it is, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Say it with me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see what's going on? He enters into the court of our despair and he takes it on. He doesn't say, get your act together and I'll think about playing for you. He doesn't say, try to be a good person and I'll play for you and I'll do something. No, he says, while we're still messed up, while we're still losing the game, while we're still in despair and realizing there is no hope, he enters the court to be the game changer. And that's what he does. And he would be willing to even die for that. That's what this holy week is all about, a savior who would turn his attention toward a cross and the events of suffering, the uh, re- result of being betrayed, and, and, but he's not a victim in this. He's willingly participating in fulfilling what he said he would do from the beginning. He would come and bring victory for his people to bring about the greatest celebration of all time so that we might truly give thanks for being loved, for not being forgotten, but for being on a team of God's people called by name and who God says you have been given victory through the forgiveness of sins and the ultimate gift of God's love for you. You talk about a buzzer beater, reason for joy today and a reason for high fives. If there was ever a time, it's now. Let's show you a picture. Anybody know what this is? It was a week ago, actually today, a week ago today, it was at around 12.22 a.m. on Saturday night a week ago, uh, Michigan was playing Houston, and it seemed like this was going to be rough, and 
and many of you who maybe watched that game thought it's probably the end of the road. They were behind going in with just a few seconds left and it didn't look good. And that's when Jordan Poole, as it was down to 0.7 of a second, less than a second left, puts up this last ditch shot and, and puts it in. As the time expires, Michigan wins by one point and, and continues on beyond to the, the, the final eight at that point, now final four, just to share that a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and he makes it, and you know, I love the celebration that came right after this. It was a game of catch on, on the field or on the, on the court that night and just the joy and the amazing opportunity to celebrate victory. I share this because my mother-in-law was watching the game that night as we were too, and I'd, woke, I'd fall asleep earlier, but I woke up for the final minutes and watched this unfold. And right as the game ended, she sent us a text of these really angry, sad faces, and that's how the night ended. I thought, that's strange. And I saw her a few days later, and I said, Kathy, just curious, why did you text those sad faces at the end of the game? She says, funny thing. She says, I, I went to church the next morning, and and I walked in just really still upset about the game and, and, and I even brought it up with somebody. I'm like, I can't believe that game last night. That was just so, so sad. I can't believe it ended that way. And she says, and that's when I was gathered around some people like, Kathy, what are you talking about? They won. She said, they did? And she said, I turned it off. It was too miserable. And they're like, they won in the final second. She's like, they did? And you know what? I love that story because it reminds me of something. We need each other. Because when we face the circumstances, when we face the despair of life, we need each other. And the God's church, he gives us his word and his sacrament. He reminds us time together in worship to remind us of the greater reality. Not the cloud that's over our vision, but rather to face life knowing Jesus makes that final shot. And there is reason to celebrate today. And like she gave high fives in the narthex at her church, what would that look like for us today? Not we rejoice. No, we rejoice. Our Savior Jesus faces death for us and gives us victory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.